0: Welcome to CypherSpeak, artifacts, ciphers, and Shreer. Warble, 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 warble. <laughs> I'm here today with my co-host Darcy, who is a convention queen who shepherds the black cube.
1: And I've just translated here with my co-host Troy, a weary apparator who needs more legroom. And this is CypherSpeak.
0: Hello, everyone. This week, we are going to be talking about how to uh, GM translations in the strange. Uh, This topic was suggested to us by Blake via an email. Um, Basically, what we kind of want to talk about, and he had questions about, was how to make translations better, more interesting, uh, how do we do them, things like that. Um, And what translations are is in the strange... Um, but I'll stop there and let you describe translations because I think I stole your stuff.
1: How dare you? Cool. So translations are the, you know, if you're not super familiar with The Strange, uh, The Strange is a world where uh, fictions birth new realities called recursions. They're sort of these little mini worlds, little mini realities that uh, are sort of limited but uh, can can have, you know, almost like, holodeck adventures, but but have a tinge more reality to them, right? So some, you know, it would be like a holodeck adventure or a hologram or a, a simulation where certain um, NPCs or, or actors in that simulation can gain the spark and realize that they're in a simulation and then walk out. So it's an interesting blend of, you know, fiction and reality and uh, world-hopping fun, right? So translating is what... Uh, you do in the strange from Earth or or from other recursions to basically like put your body in some question mark question mark other place and download yourself sort of skinned for the new reality into the new re- recursion. And so this is all part of an alien data network. And uh, if you're interested more in sort of the who and what and why behind that, which is really, really cool, I recommend uh, maybe going back and listening to some of our older uh, Strange episodes or just going and checking out the book because it's super, super fun. And I, I get really jazzed by the lore of like, how, how does translation work? But functionally for the characters and for your game, right, Uh Translation is a means to an end. It is a kind of, could be a meditation, could be a stepping through the the wormhole, stepping through the stargate, um, but you sort of have to, there's a, it's it's an active process. You have to kind of meditate and get in the right brain space and having players of multiple types lets you do that better, faster, more accurately, et cetera. So it's, you know, fundamentally, it is the travel, It's, it's the act of traveling, right? And so I have a lot of questions about that from a role play perspective that I'm going to try very hard not to get too deep into, but (laughs) you know, with, I think, you know, translation is really cool visually, but you're going to be doing it a lot in this campaign. And what are the consequences of failure, right? I think part of it, part of how to make it interesting is also recognizing that there's, there's like die rolls associated with this, uh, And so what does failure look like with translations? Is it interesting if we don't get to the place? Or when is it interesting when we don't get to the place? So um, I think there's a lot of, I think if you put a little bit of GM thought into this, you can make it really sing for your players and not be a thing you're like, rolling for, and you really only care if you succeed. So that's sort of my my opinion. Um, and I think different groups are probably going to lean into how deeply they describe the translation process and what it looks like for them, because the the book is very, I assume, purposefully vague on that. And so I think some people will get really into like, yeah, what does this trippy translation look like? Or And, and others might just be like uh, a little bit of fluff, and then they're diving right into the new recursion. Does that about cover it, Troy? Uh,
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, The only thing that I think I would add is that uh, if you are more interested in learning about worlds through fiction, uh, Bruce Cordell's novel, The Myth of the Maker, uh, is a good intro to the kind of the world of the strange as well. Um, So that'll kind of give you some background on what the, you know, what the strange is if... Rather than reading, you know, the game book, which has a lot of fiction in it describing the world. But if you like more of a kind of a narrative introduction, that's a good place to start.
1: Great point. And it's available on audiobook. Yay.
0: Yeah, look at that. You can <laughs> listen to it in your ear holes just like this. <laughs> um,
1: and then you'll never come back to this. You'll realize there are real uh, <laughs> narrators who you should be it's listening like, to instead. Oh
0: man, like look at all this good fiction I could just listen to instead yeah. of these two people blather on. Um, Casey, make sure you cut this out. <laughs> Don't let them leave us. <laughs> um. So I, I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about that I think you touched on in there is, you know, like when we talk about how to make translations fun or interesting. Um, I think that I'd like to talk about descriptions, like how can mm-hmm. we describe the act of translation? Uh, because an interesting part of translation is that it takes a little while in, I believe it's called like the translation trance is mm-hmm. like kind of what it's officially called, you know, to like get ready to translate. But then once you do, it's like instantaneous, mm. you know, it's like right. here I am and then there I am. Mm-hmm. So there, there's no real, at least for me, there's no real travel to narrate, right? It's really just, what does this new place look like? You know, is it the crazy bioengineered space of, of Rook? Uh, is it, you know, I don't know, the, the bridge of a Star Destroyer? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's all kinds of different places that you can translate to and what does that look like and how do you make that interesting and evocative for your players yeah
1: that's a good point um you want to you want to make it you know you're going to a a really really different place most likely and so Mm -hmm. nailing down a you know a lot of times i gm um pre-written locations when i gm the strange especially one shots i've never uh run a campaign I, i ran one brief campaign with it but uh, I I think I probably would want to kind of hone that little pitch to, you know, two sentences or two, three sentences of, you know, you need enough to establish this really new and different place and key people in, especially if they're not totally sure, you know, what they're going to find when they go there. They have an mm-hmm. object that keys them there, but they're really not sure where they're going to show up. Um, then, you know, you need enough establishing narrative, but you don't want to take up a lot of time painting this huge picture especially since this is a thing you do over and over again right uh
0: right i mean i think one thing that i think can lend itself very well to the strange is actually if we think about it like uh, kind of a movie like i think of the star wars movies a lot for this they always when they go to like a new planet have like this big establishing shot Mm. Right. You know, like you see Coruscant for the first time and you kind of see this big, huge like city just stretching out before you and you kind of zoom in down to the like where like whatever action is taking place or, um, you know, on Naboo, we see kind of the. You know, that, that city, that capital city there, um, you know, and kind of what that architecture is like. And I think like maybe like trying to think about an establishing shot like that, yeah. you know, like you, you're kind of like zoomed out and, hey, this is what this place looks like. And then you kind of zoom in and maybe describe, you know, their very precise local surroundings and maybe some of the people around them, because some of these places will have very different people.
1: Right. Um, So one thing that's also tricky about the stranger or important to note here is that when you go to a new recursion, you not only see what's around you, you you not only yourself change to fit that recursion, but you also know some basic facts about that recursion. Mm -hmm. And so it is a little more than just establishing shots and you know, what I would probably do ideally is write down those like three bullet points or four bullet points of just like factoids, you know, and just hand them out to the players Yeah. so that I can focus on, you know, making this pretty establishing shot and not really disrupting the narrative to info dump, but they have it at their fingertips. And so I, I kind of like uh, that. That's something that the one shots do pretty well. They're like, here's what you know. Um, And uh I, I like that you don't have to speak it aloud. You can sort of stay in the flow of the narrative, but hand them. You have this intel automatically,
0: right? Uh, small, tiny tip: uh, hand out that little bullet point list after you've done your little narrative spiel. Yeah, otherwise, they they'll be they'll be reading it and not <laughs> listening to you. Otherwise,
1: it's it's a good call. Um, <laughs> one other thing, yeah. So I'm, I keep coming back to the one shots I've written for this, which I are some of my favorite. Adventures of all time. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's it's weird that I don't play more of the strange, because of how deeply I adore some of those adventures. They're so good. So uh, on one hand, that is reminding me I should just run some more strange, maybe for lawful <laughs> good gaming or something, uh, get an excuse. But uh, one other thing they do, you know, we've talked a bit about the the new recursion. We say that there's not. A lot of impetus in the book to talk about the the feeling of of translating itself. But one thing it does do is it in in the adventures, it gives you a little bit of text for the GM to read of like your character, um, uh, LG. Babcock the Third, you feel your ears getting longer and your and your mm-hmm. limbs elongating and you uh, the gun in your hand is starting to morph into a big blade or whatever, right? And so they give it just a little bit of like, I am uh f- kind of feeling myself morph into this thing, even though we know my earth body goes into abeyance and my new body gets downloaded. you get the the mental shift into a new form. and I do like spending a second to describe that, maybe you know probably asking the players to do it um, if I was in a campaign, right of like, okay, what do these other people now see about you?
0: right yeah and and a lot of that can sometimes be, you know, based on what new focus they pick, um, if they change focus mm-hmm. as they go to the recursion, or just kind of how their recursion is is different. But but yeah, I I think that that kind of personal description or transformation is also uh, really important and makes the strange very interesting. Um, and maybe like the first couple of times, you might have to like you know kind of work with your players through what changes they go through because one of the problems is is it's not always super clear. Like how does their gear and equipment change from place to place, you know? so parts? Yeah. So like they might, you know, they might be like, well, what is, what is a gun here? You know, things like that, that you might have to kind of work through until they kind of get the feel for what those different recursions are.
1: Yeah. And uh, one way I've been thinking about that, because I think it is kind of, it's one of the sticking, it was one of the early sticking points for me for the strange, like, how do I know what translates and what doesn't? And I, I really think about you know ciphers and art and maybe artifacts I, I forget their role in the strange but definitely ciphers are really the only thing that like like your body morphs into a new form downloads a new form and and gets skinned that way and so the way I've been thinking about it and but you know there's there's probably edge cases right but uh is like take your whole body put it in a download a new body and outfit that to be appropriate to the recursion including equipment that your kind of person might do. So So, if you're a warrior type or or really anyone who's sort of adventure-y, everybody gets weapons, right? And so, like, don't consider... I, I've been trying to get away from being like, my AK-47 turns into a a BB gun in this kid recursion, right? Like, uh, <laughs> it's, it's just that... Uh, it's what's appropriate for the kind of adventures you're going to have there. So there's, you know... I, I ascribe a little bit of will to it, right? Because, like, you guys generally aren't coming in as, like, I'm getting d- downloaded into Arden as like the maid of a tavern. You're you're coming in as like I'm a bounty hunter and I'm big and actiony and I run around, right? So uh that, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it. But <laughs> but then like you have to you have to worry that you'll forget some important piece of equipment. So to some extent you're thinking about equipment slots, right? My my characters are going to need uh some basic adventuring tools, some basic Combatty tools, some basic social, you know, socially appropriate clothing and stuff, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of got to think about what, yeah, what, what do you need and what should you have here, you know, like, um, what would my stuff turn into in Steampunk London, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I think something that you can do to help your your players with this, uh, and I think in general might kind of help your campaign along, is to kind of let them know ahead of time where you're going uh, mm-hmm. or, or what translations are maybe likely to happen in the next session or two. Um, kind of for two reasons. One, so they kind of have their characters ready. Uh, so if they do want to change focus when they go to this new recursion, they can do so. Um, I, I think that that's a big you know, kind of time saver at the table for sure. Um, But that can also get them thinking about, oh, okay, what does my equipment turn into? What am I going to look like? Um, You know, so yeah, I think it's just helpful to to do that and that'll get them in the swing of things. And maybe they can ask those questions of what would this be in this recursion outside of, you know, the game time. So when it comes time for them to translate, they can have this really cool description ready.
1: Right. I think The Strange in general benefits a lot from a little bit of imposed structure, right, kind of episodic, mm-hmm. uh, especially since hanging on the end of we're about to translate into this new place, cut, then people get to prepare for that. Uh, is, is just such an effective and like, you know, fun energy wise uh, ending point.
0: Right. Or, you know, kind of conversely to that, if you're running like an episodic, like a Stargate sliders type campaign, you know, maybe your session starts with like 15 minutes of briefing and then off to the place and then you get done at the place and come back home.
1: Right. Right. And
0: that's that's every session. Right. So you can say, hey, next session, your mission is going to be in x so prepare right. for that and then you'll get kind of the detailed briefing and character stuff you know in that first chunk or whatever
1: <laughs> ah i love sliders <laughs> it's very bad i tried to rewatch it recently very very bad <laughs> all right so we've talked a lot about uh descriptions and a little bit about story structure um do we want to talk a little bit about the rules like how how that actually goes mechanically
0: so when you are translating, one character kind of initiates the translation and they are responsible for the, the translation trance, I guess it's called. Um, and from there, you know, some things happen. Um, other characters can help. They can attempt to hasten uh, that trance. So uh, by default, it is four hours i believe Mm -hmm. um and then it can be hastened um down to one hour um but if that character that is helping to hasten is a spinner it can go down to 10 minutes um and then the other thing that happens is when you translate there is kind of a acclimation period right like uh it just takes you a little while to get used to your new body and your new surroundings. Um and that acclimation period is an hour. However, uh somebody can help uh kind of make you you know go faster and, and acclimate faster down to ten minutes However, if the person that is kind of helping you acclimate is a vector, it only takes one round, so it's basically instantaneous after you mm-hmm. after you translate. So those are kind of the the pieces of the translation, and then kind of finally at the end of all that, whoever is making the roll has to roll against the level of the recursion that you are going to to see. If it works, basically, mm-hmm. uh, and if the person kind of initiating the translation in the trance is a paradox, uh, that role is like one level easier. So that's kind of the quick mechanics of how it works. Mm-hmm. And I think the important question that you know we maybe want to talk about here a little bit is when does it make sense to go through all of these motions, mm-hmm. right? Um I think Darcy kind of touched on this and I think the answer is when it's interesting.
1: <laughs> when failure is interesting, right? Yeah.
0: Um <sighs> or or when success you know needs to happen, you know, for a specific reason. You know, yeah. So I guess it's a way you know kind of the flip side of it. You know, like I think about our episodic campaign that I kind of described earlier like Stargate, you know, if it's an episode of Stargate, Almost every episode of Stargate, at least in the early seasons, they start on Earth, they go through the Mm -hmm. Stargate, they go somewhere, they do something, they come back, right? That session of that RPG is not interesting at all if they don't go through the Stargate to start with.
1: Right, right. If they are (laughs) stuck on Earth not doing Stargate things, that is uh, unexciting.
0: Yes. Uh, However coming back if there are people chasing them or mm-hmm. if the world they're on is like crumbling beneath them, you know, into a black hole or something, right? Then it's very interesting, you know, for them to have to do all of the things to attempt to get away as quickly as possible.
1: One of the things I might think about with this is, is that Cypher lets you bring the difficulty of things down to zero, right? Right and so then we we're not asking for a role and it's it's still it's not the gm saying oh i'm just i'm just going to gm fiat not ask for a role this time cuz it's not interesting it's letting the players say you know we are we are opting to take the appropriate you know uh prep to spend effort to do whatever to bring it down to zero and so i like that that's a thing that will happen in cypher where the players choose to not have a role happen and to just automatically succeed um so that that makes me happy but uh like i am torn because on you know if it's just you fail to translate that's not a super interesting role uh, result but there's that recursion failure table that there's the translation failure table that is has some really fun weird stuff on it right like you can go to the wrong place <laughs> um that's really exciting and i and so I don't want to miss out on that and so to some degree I wonder if you know when we are not time crunched when it's just you know when when there's not a pressure behind or ahead of you and it's just like we're sort of in the cheery beginning of an adventure and we're trying to translate, I might, at that point, I might sort of breeze through those first steps but still call for the role. Um, I, I just don't know, you know, is there, is there something I as a GM can do to make it interesting when they roll the, 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 fail, the translation fails but nothing extra bad or interesting happens, right? Like, is there some way I can make that more interesting?
0: Uh, well, I mean, so one thing that I would do is, you know, if they have basically no pressure, um, you know, is, yeah, you can go ahead and give them bonuses to the role, especially, I mean, if they're seasoned translators, you know, once they've translated to several places, Or if they're working for somebody like the estate, maybe the estate is giving them some an item that is easing the translation even further to wherever they want them to go. Um, You know, so yeah, let it go to zero and away they go. Another thing that I would seriously think about doing is the one thing that I actually don't like about the translation failure table um, is that. I guess that there is the 20% chance of just a complete failure, which where you don't translate, right. where that's only interesting if there is, yeah, if there is that kind of complication of, you know, there's something that we're trying to get away from or, or what have you, mm-hmm. you know, it's not interesting in a lot of other cases. So, you know, do you say that at least in some cases that we're going to reroll that result? Right. I mean, you know, that can be your house rule that, um, you know, hey, when we are just leaving on our mission or translating from a known place and there's no pressure, we're going to reroll complete failure because it's not interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I also thought of, you know, narratively, whether you're in a recursion of like a Wild West town, you know, uh, a little oil uh, oil booming town or whatever. Um, like if you meditate and it fails, like I would probably include a little bit of like snarky NPCs chatter, <laughs> like sort of, you know, I don't, I don't like to lean too much into embarrassment of the NPCs, but it might make it kind of funny instead of just like flat. Um, and likewise, if they're at the estate and they're meditating and they're trying to get into the trance and translate and they don't. Like co-workers have seen it and that's sort of embarrassing, sure. right? <laughs> yeah. So there's ways to maybe have a little fun with it. But yeah, I like the house rule of like, in certain contexts, we don't go through all the steps again and talk about it again. We just, uh, you know, re-roll the die roll. And if it's a failure again, you know, only really deal with it if it's an interesting failure.
0: Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and but ultimately, I think that, you know, if, if you're running a game where you translate a lot you know, one thing that you have to be aware of as well on failure is like Darcy was talking about the altered destinations. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) you know, you have to be prepared for, okay, if they fail, you know, where are they going to go? So maybe you have one or two places kind of up your sleeve that, um, you know, They can go to, and maybe those are the same couple of locations over a period of time, right? It doesn't have to be every single time you need a new one. It's just like, oh, hey, next time they fail, they're going to, you know, the Firefly recursion, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? You know?
1: Yeah. Or having the uh, Strange Discover, Strange Discoveries. Is that the Incident Adventures book? Yes. Uh Uh-uh. You know, having that Instant Adventures book on hand is super useful and valuable. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, but it's a good point, right? Like, as you're you're kind of world-building as you go in any strange campaign. And so you have all those mm-hmm. recursions you've been to before that you can pop them back into with pretty low prep, right? Uh, so I, I really like that thought. Uh, anything more on that?
0: Um, I don't think so. Uh, I, I think that that's kind of our, our advice on how to you know, maybe work with those, those roles. Um, I I think that, but kind of next on the list to kind of dovetail into that, which I kind of already started on when I was talking about like the items or the, the recursion keys that help you to go to a new recursion more easily, or maybe without fail, you know, there's other ways to get between recursions, right? Besides translating. You have keys, you have a couple of different types of gates um, that really allow things to happen without, you know, you needing to go through the full kind of translation trance. So mm-hmm. so sometimes, you know, you might want to make sure your characters can go from A to B quickly. And so rather than having them go through the recursion stuff, give them the opportunity to find a gate uh, where they can they can go through and they can save the day and wherever they were going.
1: There's a great short story uh, in the little collection Tales from the Strange, which you can get on the MCG website about a uh, a dragon that gets brought to earth through oh, yeah. a gate. Mm-hmm. And so it's just literally a dragon in an alley but now the <laughs> laws of earth are applying to it and so are wading down its body and it can't fly anymore and it's sort of losing its ties to the the laws of the recursion that it's actually from and it's super cool so um, yeah and one thing I like about gates is it gives you a little more of that mashup feel compared to where yeah. we're, proper, we're properly a part of this world versus I don't know I, I get to have my weird cell phone <laughs> In in a (laughs) you know, ice age adventure or whatever, and get to so you get those that mashup feel. So don't definitely don't forget about some of the other ways that you can get around translation or modify it like like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that that's just important to remember that you know there's there's kind of ways to get around translation if that's what your adventure needs. If your adventure needs a time crunch because, you know the base that you are in is basically falling apart and getting, you know, sucked into the gravitational pull of the sun and you want this like time pressure of, you know, every round matters as the players run away, you need a gate, right? You know, mm-hmm. translation isn't really going to provide that because it's like a 10 minute thing is as fast as it can go.
1: Right one one other category I wanted to talk about briefly is is something that John Harness does really well. um and i w- I wish I had had the foresight to ask him a little more about that before we got here. But he, you know, he digs into the visual of what translating is like, especially for a one shot. So is, as much as we were talking about in campaign play, how to speed it up, how to streamline it how to make sure we're not getting caught in translation when we want to be running around recursions for for one shots you know i think it's it's worth thinking about ways you can you know visualize that process visualize what it looks like when you're you know, when you are translating and and probably which is what john does is like turn it on the players too right like give them opportunities to talk about what they're you know i think he had them like floating in a weird Nebulous space, and then sort of narrating as like uh, they came, they sort of coalesced, and what they were trying to do in this kind of drug haze vision quest situation. Mm. So he really leaned into, <sighs> a, and, and I think this was from Mastodon, where like you got your strange powers because you took an experimental drug. And so he like really <laughs> right. leaned into the like uh, the sort of LSD kind of feels to it. Um, so I, I'd be really curious to hear how other people just like lean into descriptions of translating. So please come talk to us on Twitter about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of Twitter, uh, we did kind of ask for if people had, you know, any, advice for translating and GM translating. And, uh, we did get some advice from some of our wonderful listeners and friends. Um, and so the first one is from, uh, Jim walls at, I live for crits. Um, And I'm going to say that this advice you need to be very careful with and make sure you have the complete (laughs) trust of your players uh, because it is typical gym advice. But uh, the first part of it, I think, is really good is jar your players' perspectives with outlandish characters and pop culture. Um, You know, like over the top, the bigger, the better. Jim likes, you know, more mashups you know, the, the better for him. Uh, and, and I think they're really fun, um, and really cool. And you can definitely have a good time with some of those pop culture mashups. Uh, it's the second part of his advice, uh, which you need to, you know, tread carefully. Uh, also don't be afraid to total party kill and let them start over. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, James also runs a lot of, uh, dungeon crawl classics, uh, for those familiar with that game, uh, characters die more there. Um, <laughs> so, um, so take that one with a grain of salt. But I think that what he was getting at is like, you know, if you go to a recursion and things don't work out and your characters like misstep because of where they are, you know, there should be consequences to that. Um, and I think that that's okay advice. I think that, you know, I just generally maybe, you know, shy away from the the TPK aspect.
1: <laughs> uh, we're, we're not as much of a killer GM as, as James can be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, so uh, Inspiration Strikes, our lovely Mark Plourd, uh, had some thoughts for us. And he's, he's written, um, th- highly recommended checking out his website, which is also called Inspiration Strikes, um, because he's got... Really cool nuggets of good strange ideas as well as many other kinds of cipher ideas in there. Um, just a great place for uh, cool ideas for your next game in general. Um, uh, his his advice is, to, is that if the translation is to somewhere familiar, try playing with the circumstances. A run and gun battle to reach the translation gate before the dragon does. So I think that's really smart. Uh, you're not necessarily you don't have to go back to the same genre of episode or type of episode when you return to the same recursion, right? So Mm -hmm. especially in, you know, in Rook, like these bigger recursions, you know, you could be playing a Rook noir, you could be playing, uh, you know, a a big messy battle going and exploring an old ruin. There's, there's so much to do. And so keeping that fresh is a way to see new, see the trends, the recursions with new eyes, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, Thinking about different stories that can be told in different places um, it is definitely interesting. Or take a story that maybe would fit really well in Rook, like, you know, hey, we're bioengineering, you know, animals and it's a problem. And maybe tell that story somewhere else, like Arden,
1: mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody's
0: magically engineering animals. So it's kind of the same thing, but, you know, hey, we're, we're doing it in a different place. so. Um, Another one from at shark underscore bone. Uh, I kind of like this one. Describe the new place without naming it from pop culture. Uh, So, you know, let your players have that discovery of where they are. So this is effective if they don't know exactly where they're going, um, if it's a little more of a surprise recursion, or like especially on like recursion failure, right? When they just translate somewhere. Um, Now you do have to uh, kind of, play with you know uh and we'll get somebody else had the similar advice you have to play with the rules a little bit in how much information you give them about the recursion Mm -hmm. right you know because they are supposed to know some things
1: yeah that's a very good point i i really like that and uh it's it's so fun when people uh slowly realize where they are right like i love getting i love that technique of describing a thing the players don't realize they are are already familiar with. Mm-hmm. That's such yep. a fun time. Yes. Um, uh, Devin Hypnosis says that we always care- cater to recent personal interests. And I think that's really smart, right? Like, go with what you're inspired by lately. Go with what you know your players have been talking about. Um, I I think that's, that's really clever. Don't just go through the big touchstones necessarily throw in some fresh excitement of of something newer that you may not know as intimately, but can, you know, for the purpose of a recursion, you know, those are limited, like go play. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Or like, you know, if everybody's been watching Game of Thrones, or, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, reading, uh, you know, a a novel of of whatever type, I, I think that absolutely can be fun to say, Oh, yeah, we're, we're all really interested in this thing right now. Let's go explore that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last one we have is from at Caw Condor. Um, They had a couple of interesting uh, pieces of advice. Uh, The first is they actually pick uh, foci for their PCs uh, to kind of push them outside maybe of what their normal play style is. Um, So I I can definitely see that being interesting. Uh, I think that you have to make sure that your players are on board with that um, because they are definitely ceding some control. Uh, of right. their characters to you. Um, it's also going to be work for you as the GM. To... <laughs> <laughs> Which I am allergic to. <laughs> um, you and me both. Uh, you know, so I, I think that that's, um, but but I do like that, you know, the pushing people outside of their boundaries or to play, play different things, I think is fun. Um, and then they also uh, said that they really kind of go outside of the rules and they don't provide a lot of info about the new location and really let the characters kind of explore um, that location. Uh, so, um, yeah, I I think that that's something that can be used, uh, with effect kind of depending on what your, your campaign feel is, right. If you want your campaign to feel like they are, you know, agents going from one place to another solving problems, you know, you probably don't want a lot of exploration of the recursion. So if it's super episodic, one session per recursion type Mm -hmm. of thing, you know, you probably want to give them some info dump so they can do their job. However, if your campaign is maybe a recurring kind of stranger in a strange land kind of game, um, then it's probably more interesting to let them learn about their new location through play.
1: That's a great point. Um, I also, I would love to do the, I assign you a new focus for like you know your enemies banish you to a recursion right like oh yeah like i would love that seems like a really cool event even if you don't want to make that your whole campaign
0: sure yeah and that's yeah absolutely that's a really great point you know this doesn't have to be every time they they go but yes maybe there's some event that happens
1: that's really clever thank you so much everyone for your advice that's really helpful uh you know i love hearing from the different ways that people play these games right
0: absolutely Uh, so I think that that's all we have to say about, you know, recursions and translating and things like that. Anything else you want to add, Darcy?
1: No, just that uh, I'd love, you know, if people think we haven't covered something, which we likely haven't, uh, please let us know because this has been really fun to hear how you've experienced this game.
0: Cool. All right. Time for some podities. Uh My podity this week is the Angry GM Kickstarter. Uh, the angry GM has been giving, uh, game mastering advice for quite a while, uh, on his website and he's turning, uh, kind of some of those best articles and things into a book, uh, that you can go ahead and kickstart. Um, I don't always agree with a hundred percent of the angry GM's advice, um, <laughs> Yep, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but he does have some good stuff out there. And especially if you are a fan of uh, the angry GM and his uh, various work, um, I think it's worth uh, checking out and seeing if you kind of want to back that it's already fully funded. Uh, It's only been up for a couple of days as of this recording. Um, But yeah, if if you're a fan of kind of angry and his style or unfamiliar with it and want to check it out, I mean, you can go, you know, read through his, his website, um, you know, to, to get a feel for, for what his style is like. So, um, definitely some good nuggets in there if that's uh, something you're interested in.
1: Very nice. And then, uh, I have two podities cause I'm a monster, but they're quick. They're both podcasts and I, I kind of fallen away from listening to a lot of podcasts because I, I'm listening to some, some audio fiction and I, I do a lot more talking to people in my day job. And so I think hearing narrative instead of uh, feeling like I'm in a conversation with people has been something that I've been leaning toward. And I've just been exploring some audiobooks, but th- I've wrapped those up. And now I've checked out uh, Welcome to Warda, uh, which is this beautiful, well produced, awesome um, podcast by Allie Grauer and
0: Drew Majesman. Oh, boy.
1: Drew M. Uh, we're bad. <laughs> we're bad people. But uh, let me give you the quick pitch. It is a uh, I've been hearing a lot about it for a long time and I'm finally diving into it and it's just a delight. Really cool custom world building um, and it's kind of quick pitch is Warda blends the aesthetic and class hierarchy of Downton Abbey with the intrigue and backstabbery of Game of Thrones with a dash of Agatha Christie mystery on top. Ambition, magic, invention, and curiosity combine in, in this original fantasy setting for fiction and tabletop role playing. So, uh, I don't know why it's taking me so long to get here, but it is just so well done. I think I would listen to these people doing anything, but the world building is also really exciting and cool and fresh. And, uh, so I'm really eager to dive into that deeper.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've listened to some Warda. Uh, I am still way, way in the beginning, but, um, yes, it's, it's very well done. And it's also, um, the, the world is super interesting. Uh, I know early on they talk about uh, you know, hey, maybe someday we'll make this into a game book. Uh, that needs to happen, so then mm-hmm. we can take all the stuff and play it in cipher.
1: Yep. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> My second podcast is much more self-serving because uh, I'm a monster. So, I wrote a short story for the Axon Punk uh, Cyberpunk uh, RPG by uh, Colin and Cameron Kyle uh, and I, it was my first short story that's ever been published and it was really hard for me to do. Uh, but I, I really loved how it came out, especially after editing. It was this, um, you know, very Darcy, very biology, very weird biotech and, uh, grafting polyps onto your body. It's great, right? (laughs) Everything. And, uh, (laughs) but, but it's about, uh, in an arcology and it's kind of about biology fashion and resistance is kind of where I'd, I'd put it. Um, and I'm really proud of it and happy. And then I find out this podcast that does a shadow run actual play called the talent agency, uh, ran an adventure in my short story with my characters. Um, so that was really, really exciting. So I've just started listening to it because I was so moved that I kind of couldn't really face it for a while. Um, it's just a little B-side arc in Axon Punk in my short story, but it, it's really well done. The characters are amazing. The actors are awesome. It's, it, I'm, I'm probably going to go listen to all their Shadowrun stuff because they're so good. And my favorite part is that it ends with the, I think the GM, like musing on some beautiful, like thoughtful, humanistic cyberpunk idea. I, I don't know how to describe it yet. I haven't listened to enough to really understand the shape of that that uh segment, but like he was just reflecting on how Janelle Monáe's uh previous albums, you know, about being the uh like the the super cool android, right? All sleek and shiny and perfect compares to and contrasts to her newer album talking about uh which is which has been really popular too, which is leaning into like a little more human imperfections and messiness and it was just like this uh beautiful capstone to this episode, and and so thoughtful. So, um, go listen to the talent agency. They are really, really cool.
0: Wow, sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I've never listened. I have, like I said, I've listened to some word up, but I have never listened to them. But yeah, they sound really good. Uh, so, lastly, uh, I'm going to shout out another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. I want to talk to you about the Lounge. Uh, Doc Palindrome finds the best, the brightest, the most fun game designers and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in the lounge.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, so cool. I was just at, back from Origins and I got to see so many lovely misdirected Mark people. Um, very, very makes me happy.
0: Yes, they are there in force. <laughs>
1: All right, let's let's close this one out. Thank you so much everyone who uh, tweeted to us about this topic at CypherSpeakPod Pod on Twitter. Um, please reach out to us uh, about any sort of cipher topics uh, in the future.
0: Absolutely. And if you can't hit us up on Twitter or have something longer you need to uh, send us, feel free to send us an email at cypherspeakpod at gmail.com. And also, please think about going out to iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice and uh, rating and reviewing us. We greatly appreciate it and love all of you who have left us reviews thus far.
1: Mm -hmm. So, Troy, (laughs) I got in before you. Where is it you're going to be translating next?
0: Oh, I think I'm going to bed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I think that's another, thank you, evil place.
0: (laughs) Under the bed. Cypherspeak is a member of the Misdirected Mark podcast network, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Uh so anyway, let's uh let's start that part over again. Um sorry, Darcy was making uh, gang signs at me, Casey. So she <laughs> distracted me. <laughs> um so take three.